0: Listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network, hosted by Blake Murphy Seven, all about your Arizona Cardinals. Thanks, and welcome in. This is the ROTB Pod, the Revenge of the Birds podcast. I am your host, Blake Murphy. And we are here to talk about a 2-0 and Arizona Cardinals franchise after a thrilling win over the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, it's going to be a short show today, Now uh, recording on a Thursday night, so should be up for you Friday morning. Have a second pod preview at least, bringing in some guests in Big Cat Country, the SB Nation Jacksonville Jaguars site, to help talk about... Uh, the third game for the Arizona Cardinals on the road uh, figured it'd be good to at least touch base with the Cardinals after a game in which a lot of things for the Arizona Cardinals went wrong. A lot of things went right. Uh, let's go ahead. And I, a lot of people I know have already probably about this time this week have gone over and in pretty much it seems like every single piece of the game to talk about, you know, how the slow start was uh, essentially the defensive side didn't really get going until the second half how the Cardinals ended up essentially blowing their run defense and really exposing a defense that had looked very solid a week ago to the predominant play of Kyler Murray being able to put up a total of 32 points on the board for Arizona. And what this will say as far as the team of the expectations. So the first thing I think I want to talk about with this team is after week one, with a thrashing of the Titans, expectations are raised. Some people were expecting a blowout of the Vikings. Some were expecting the Cardinals to perhaps flounder a bit against a poorly prepared Tennessee team on the road. And I think what we saw with Arizona is that this is not necessarily what one would call a perfect team. But I think that's okay. Because in the NFL, no team is going to be perfect. Uh, This goes without saying, there's never been a 19-0 team in the history of the organization. I think the question that's going to be asked is Did the Cardinals' issues overshadow their win? And I think you can say, as a Cardinals fan, a win's a win. At the end of the day, if the Cardinals win one more game, they're in the playoffs last season, you wouldn't really care how they got that win. You could say, Oh, hey, look, the Cowboys, you know, missed a game, you know, uh, Game-winning field goal. oh, you know, the the Philadelphia Eagles or the Chicago Bears, they uh, uh, they kind of at least, you know, uh, should have lost to uh, this team, but this other team benched their players, tanked to the Cardinals in the playoffs. You don't really end up caring. At the end of the day, I think the Cardinals did enough to win the game, and that starts really with the play of Kyler Murray winning the NFC Offensive Player of the Week award, over 400 yards passing, uh, even another 30 or so on the ground. I think we're starting to see and develop the case of what Kyler's physical talent has been, a little bit of what it can be, but one of the core, and perhaps you could say at least areas, that seems to have not gone away is how Kyler is essentially, in a lot of ways, some have called it a backyard football, improvisational, the idea of the off-schedule throw. Last year, it was more of the off-scheduled run, and we've seen, of course, Kyler take a step forward in this regard. I think what we've seen for the most part as well is that Kyler and of itself, while he's taken a few steps forward, I think much, much more goes to the supporting cast around him. I'm not afraid to at least say that when you look at this Cardinals offense and you talk about Christian Kirk moving from the outside into the slot, adding a explosive threat like Rondale Moore, as we saw, perhaps one of the biggest plays of the game on Sunday in his second game as a pro and being able to. Keep DeAndre Hopkins not as the only threat for a Cardinals player, but by adding in a bit more of a threat in Max Williams who can catch the ball either down the field or being able to be utilized a little bit as a pass catcher, it allows for the Cardinals, I think, to get away with a subpar run game. That was what I think we saw on this Sunday. We saw the Cardinals have over 100 yards total for Chase Edmonds week one. They were effective but not necessarily groundbreaking. I think that would be one of the arenas that you could talk about with the Cardinals that may be, I wouldn't say concerned, but I think last year running the ball was their identity. This year, it's all about passing and the ability of Kyler Murray to be able to get out of some of these plays to be able to get open and then keep the eyes downfield. Look, those are all developments Cardinals fans have been waiting for. Uh, being able to act like a Russell Wilson or be like Patrick Mahomes and throw on the run is a huge step his development now that being said you kind of then talk about the weapons he has you know max williams had a career game he's been always a solid player but it does really feel like it's a case of deandre hopkins is right now like maybe the best receiver in the nfl christian kirk right now number one pro football focus grade against uh, man coverage rondell moore top grade against zone coverage A.J. Green had his first touchdown, had a, a decent catch, but also had a really critical and crucial drop. And that's not something I think that Cardinals fans are looking for when you're talking about this bigger outside threat. I think there's a lot of different ways. It's really shown the emergence of Christian Kirk as a guy who probably should have been in the slot a few years earlier. or Maybe he's just having a breakout this year. I think at least in review of the game, nothing can really be overshadowed with how good Kyler Murray has played to the point where last week he was, or I should say last year, he was a lot more of a kind of fringe or more of a niche MVP type candidate. Through the first six weeks, he looked like he was on pace to be up there for the award, but wasn't necessarily going to win it. Aaron Rodgers, he's the guy who went up taking home the award. You can even argue Patrick Mahomes had looked solid up until that point. Obviously, there were injuries that (laughs) ended up occurring, And there was Russell Wilson, who lit it up in what people have called affectionately a Big 12 game last year. I think that looking back at North Arizona, there's still questions that you can have about the scheme and what Kyler can play in, but I really don't think a lot of that matters as much. And that, I think, goes to Russell Wilson. He's had how many offensive coordinators. He isn't throwing to a single player that he's had from the start time. His entire offensive line is turned over. Yet, there he goes out some eight, nine years later, still being able to put up insane numbers regardless of who he's throwing to. And that's not to dissuade anyway from Tyler Lockett or DK Metcalf. But I think it shows for a lot of Cardinals fans, that is the biggest hope takeaway that you have is There's a lot for this franchise that has never had a quarterback who's been able to, as Kyler has, be an offensive player of the week five times in a row from the quarterback position who's still got what seems like their entire career ahead of them. That is something that you can look at as not just necessarily short-term success for this team, but the hope of long-term franchise success. Uh, The sky's the limit. If Kyler Murray is able to continue, and I don't think he keeps up this same pace, that seems nigh impossible there's been a bad Viking secondary that is able to make a few turnovers still and a bad Titan secondary that's going to toughen up in future games. But if Murray's able to essentially have a Lamar Jackson type season, get some MVP votes, even if he just ends up being one of those guys that ends up on the cover of Madden, that kids are wanting to play as Kyler to escape you know, under pressure, run around like it's Michael Vick 2007 uh, Madden in the backfield, and then chuck the ball deep, uh, just like that ball in Christian Kirk that he threw, backing all the way up, throwing off of the back foot, dropping it in there perfectly for the second time this season, that is essentially publicity you can't buy of having a star quarterback when you're an NFL team. And that's what people are starting to realize more on a national level. That's really what Kyler is. Now, is this the best fit with Cliff Kingsbury? I think there's an argument to be made that it is a excellent fit. He's shown mastery of the offense. There's still areas to develop obviously. Murray still at times will, you know, take a loss running out of bounds. There's times he'll bail a clean pocket. There's also even areas that you could argue where he just tries to do a little bit too much at times. Um uh, will take a sack on a play just trying to extend it or you know, will try to go for a little bit extra thinks he has enough on the arm and then you see a linebacker return it for six. I'll talk a little bit about more of that. Ten-point swing, I believe, that we saw from the Cardinals. Or at least it was for sure a seven-point swing. I'd have to remember, at least I'll I'll pull it up here in a second, whether the Cardinals uh, and the Vikings, that score really made a difference as far as the second interception. Really, I think at the end of the day, everything does kind of come back to Kyler. And as long as Cliff Kingsbury is winning games, that's not going to change. And that goes back to when you see Mike McCarthy. It goes back to seeing guys who were the head coaches of Ben Roethlisberger. It is one of the places, at least, if it gives stability and security like nothing else in the NFL. And Cardinals fans can at least rejoice and say, man, he's looked like a superhero these first couple of weeks. And he hasn't really taken the type of hits that Cam Newton was taking when Cam was essentially being super Cam. Yeah, just taking a look, the Vikings did score, so that's about a 10-point swing at least. And that's kind of the biggest thing I think with Kyler that changed in this game was there were two interceptions that without them would have probably been a blowout for the Cardinals. You could also argue that this is a game that, if not for Kyler on the first half, and maybe one clutch play by Ron Moore really could have turned out to be a blowout for the Vikings. This was perhaps one of the most entertaining first halves you'll watch. Uh, the game... Starts off pretty s- slow, at least for the most part, if you're a Cardinals fan, or as a Vikings fan. Second play of the game, boom, long touchdown. Cardinals punt. Vikings punt. And then Arizona finally seems to click. The ball, if I remember correctly, at least, is kind of gets shot, uh, started off with a pass to DeAndre Hopkins going down the line. End up seeing a few scrambles for the most part. And then a huge play, at least for the Arizona Cardinals. With 16 yards, at least, to DeAndre Hopkins. Cardinals drive down, at least to the Minnesota 15. And then you see the incredible Kyler Murray play where he extends the play, runs left, throws a touchdown to DeAndre Hopkins. The offense is good, guys. That's not something, I think, to worry about. Now, could there be cracks? I think we've seen, I think, to Hunter with his three-sack game. The fact the Cardinals were fine, but not truly elite, you could say, at running the ball, especially, especially when it came time to try to run the Vikings out of the building I could see there being situations where Kyler gets under pressure moves out of the pocket maybe you're not seeing the same type of approach maybe you don't have Rondale Moore on the field you're trying to be able to protect a bit more with your one or two tight ends and the Cardinals offensive lines we saw DJ Humphreys got beat Kelvin Beachum has been trying to hang in there but the tackle situation has not been quite as strong Josh Jones has been missing, you know, he missed a stunt at least on uh I believe this is there this last week or so, but no, uh Kyler man, yeah, Kyler just kept making plays right. And I think that's where when you're in the stadium, yeah, I got to experience the first Cardinals game that I got to experience. Now I'm droning on, it sounds like a bit at least. I want to get to the defense in a second. First Cardinals game I experienced since 2019 had that same electricity at home with when Kyler Murray was coming out for his first game as a Cardinals player and the team was down, you really never felt like you were fully out of it. As soon as they scored, you realized, oh, they're they're down eight. This, this actually has a chance. A series of seemingly miraculous <laughs> events occurred for the Cardinals just to get to that tie. You're talking about an offense seemingly to suddenly click. You're talking about some clutch conversions. You're talking about what should have been a game-ending play turn into um, a penalty uh, holding on the Lions that brought the ball back. They punt it to Arizona and are essentially able to walk it off eh, except for the fact that they end up having to kick the two field goals in overtime for the most part. But it really was what tie that felt like a win and I think in a lot of cases for this Cardinals fan this was a loss that felt like a win. That's really because of the job the defense did, which is not much. I think in analyzing the defense there are issues that you can see with What we've seen from Cliff Kingsbury in the offense, there's issues maybe with some of the protection, some of the power. Some of that, I think at least you can just toss out because Kyler seems to make up for that. He's probably been one of their better playmakers, not just on offense, but in the entire NFL. And it hasn't mattered whether he's been under pressure, whether he's been blitzed. He's just shown the capacity to be able to make plays. Now, will that change if he suddenly can't run or get away? I think so. But the passing game has truly developed this season to the point where maybe he takes a few more sacks, maybe he has to get rid of the ball quicker, but it does really feel like this is kind of the time where Kyler Murray is coming into some of his own. As for the rest of the team, I think that there's still a few cracks. The offensive line has improved, despite what Pro Football Focus may say. I think the eye test so far, Rodney Hudson has been passing it. You've seen at least enough weapons to get by where the Cardinals could probably push for about 30 points a game against a bad defense. They probably can even push for about 2024 20, against maybe even the elite defenses. But it's on the defensive side that the Cardinals really showed some flaws. That'll be next year. I'll talk about on the ROTB pod what went wrong with the defense, how it can be fixed, and maybe even if it can be fixed under Vance Joseph. That'll be coming up here next. Welcome back to the Revenge of the Birds podcast. So, with offense, the question may be, did the offense really improve in talent or did Kyler Murray improve in talent? I think that you could argue a bit of both. The defensive side, then, the question is how much of this is a talent issue where the Cardinals are with their current players, and how much of it may be schematically what they have as far as their approach and with Vance Joseph. I think that this is one of the most interesting cases we can talk about because we really haven't addressed what Steve Kime has done on the defensive side as far as with a lot of people came into the season fearing that the cornerback situation was going to be rough. And we saw signs of that on Sunday. There was a touchdown to Justin Jefferson. Some big plays that were done with including a touchdown to Adam Thielen. Marco Wilson falls down on the play. He ends up leaving the game with a sprained ankle. Uh, Seems likely to come back, fortunately, for the next game this week. Uh, we'll see how Byron Murphy looks. That'll be part of the game preview at least later today on Friday. But up front, the Arizona Cardinals approach was very different. Now I'm talking and just go back a bit for those who weren't here. So entering the 2020 draft, there was a discussion between uh, my former partner, Johnny Venerable, and I about the linebacker position versus what was the defensive line position at the time. This was the Derek Brown versus Isaiah Simmons. You can have your pick of each. Which one would you take? And I think most people looked at Derek Brown and said, "All right, this is a guy who's a big run stuffer. Maybe he's got upside and a solid amount of potential." Most people are taking a look at the flashy linebacker. You can line him up off of the edge. You can put him at inside linebacker. He can play a corner. Heck, he can even line up in the slot. You're going to be able to match this guy up on these big slot receivers that teams are finding for mismatches on these, you know, five nine slot cornerbacks. Who's going to be able to keep up with those guys who run four threes? Clearly, I think Isaiah Simmons was the guy projected. I thought that it was like to draft a run stuff around the top seven who had upside but not production as far as when it came to rushing the passer. I wasn't a big fan of it. I wasn't the biggest fan of taking Simmons considering I thought that they really needed another wide receiving threat. I think the emergence of Rondale Moore and even seeing some of Cliff Kingsbury being able to move. Christian Kirk in year four in his contract, you're back into the slot. Kind of showed at least that some of that was justified, but I even said, hey, perhaps I was just wrong on the order of the year. Perhaps, that you know, you had to get some guy who was a defensive playmaker. Are you seeing Isaiah Simmons be able to make some tackles in the run game? And perhaps it's right about they needed a weapon, a wide receiver. What I think that I've kind of gone full circle on now is realizing that Vance Joseph's defense in the 3-4 probably is a lot more schematic in where He loved having these bigger guys up front in Denver. It's kind of almost even been his calling card, you could say, of having these penetrating defensive tackles. who can be up front. And then kind of scheming your linebackers into position to be able to make some of those tackles. And I think that right now, the Arizona Cardinals have shown a little bit of an issue, either whether it's a talent issue of they just haven't really had many of the horses up front the same way, or there just has not quite been the same emphasis on the run defense, at least that we've been able to need. Now, I had to make a perfect guess as far as for creating the perfect Cardinals team. You're probably gonna be looking at adding a defensive tackle over a linebacker in hindsight. Now, let me explain this. If you're stopping the run up the middle, Getting these tackles, guys are shedding blocks. Guys are not getting to the second level. What we saw from the Cardinals this last game was Vikings essentially exposed the Cardinals in a way that we've seen them get exposed before against the outside zone. So outside zone, you're talking about the quarterback hands the ball off. Running back is able to either kind of plow forward through the zone, so that way you just kind of follow your man, go through the open holes. Or you have a cutback lane where everyone gets sucked up into the center of the play action um, or I should say gets sucked up into the center of where the run is, the running back cuts it back outside. You usually have to make one man miss, and then sometimes you go off for a big game. What we saw against the Vikings was the Vikings ran about 13 snaps of outside zone and got about five yards per carry, including on outside zone, five yards of 10 plus yards. Now, this shouldn't be a surprise with Dalvin Cook. This was his bread and butter back in college. He was a guy who could make big plays, some long touchdowns. I think what's concerning is that the Cardinals really didn't have any of these uh, kind of run scheme plays that they did that were under five yards of carry. They had inside zone. They had a ton, (laughs) about 4.9 yards per carry. Uh, I think at least PFF called it pin and pull scheme. You're talking kind of about where you pin your guy, you pull it back. Essentially this is kind of a matchup type of arena where you're trying to not necessarily blast open a hole, but more just create space for your running back. So essentially, hey, space for this guy to run through, at least for the most part. You're expecting to pick up a little bit more. They end up having almost 10 yards per carry in those. And then even running power directly up the middle, talking about at least 6.5 yards a carry, including a run of 10-plus yards. One of these, I believe, uh, runs happened at least on a scoring drive in which the Cardinals were not able to get off the field. Instead, on third down, guy runs right up the middle about 10 yards or more. And I think that right now, when we're looking at Arizona, the draft class they assembled really was trusting the likes of Zach Allen to step up on the defensive tackle, trusting Richard Lawrence at the nose tackle to do well, and Lucky Foto, who only had three tackles, I should say actually three snaps at least, I, mean, I think he said three tackles in the season, three snaps, did not really get a lot of playing time. Hopefully that's going to be more of due to injury versus lack of player having to get pulled. But really, when the Cardinals are having these young linebackers that are being able to have maybe their eyes deceived or pulled around or maybe just missing a tackle, at least with some of their youth, just a split second behind having to think. And with Jordan Hicks, who looked great last week and this week, it seemed like he was just maybe at least a little step slow of or his eyes were just not quite in the right spot. You really felt like this was probably one of the low points for the Cardinals now. I do think that the linebacker situation is going to make a lot of compensating, but we saw the ups and downs of it. Last week, Zayvon Collins, 90 PFF grade, elite run defender the week before. This week, it was in the 30s. You put that in the middle, at least. You're talking about, all right, he's a pretty decent player, at least. It just sees some of the highs and lows. And this is, makes sense for a rookie. You know, He was on limited snaps week one. You're going to see highs and lows. He was put in position for success. Come back in week two, slightly different player, slightly different scheme. Not the same success. But I think the more that I look at it, the Arizona Cardinals, you talk about their corners. You still have an extra year Byron Murphy. You've got the likes of... Marco Wilson looking promising, maybe if injury issues come up. I think the Cardinals' defense is in a bind right now. The more I watched, at least from this season, one big difference is that Buda Baker has not been in the box nearly as much as he was in 2019 and even in 2020. And that's kind of a big deal. I think the reason why it should be obvious, you've got young rookie cornerback that you don't want to be fully on an island. You want to keep Buddha, at least in some cases, to close the middle of the field. And in that spot, I think that's where the Cardinals are running into the issue of without Buddha Baker to help be there down in the box, you know, being more of a cleanup guy, you're putting Jalen Thompson in there. It's kind of your strong safety approach. Buddha is the guy who can clean up stuff on the back end. And I think that, in and of itself, is then allowing those linebackers to have to make the plays. And they did not make those plays against the Vikings. I don't blame the linebackers one bit for that. I think the issue is Arizona has been under Steve Kime. We've seen they've been looking for this impact defensive tackle for a while now. Uh, for maybe even, you could argue, the entirety of Steve Kime's tenure post uh, post Darnell Dockett. Dockett goes out in 2015 with an injury. Cardinals end up never really replacing him. They tried to draft Robert Kimdichie a year later to take over for Calais Campbell. Don't end up replacing him at defensive end or even if in a 4-3 at defensive tackle. Go back into 2000 and say 2019, Derek Brown is a guy that's been considered. Cardinals try to be able to sign in that uh, following year in 2020. uh, Try to sign the likes of Jordan Phillips. He gets hurt. Doesn't work out. He may not be back this season. He might. But I think it goes to show that when it comes to being able to stop the run, Cardinals and Buda Baker even said, we're going to get some of these bigger guys in here in the second half. And we saw the impact that made. Vikings rushed for maybe almost, what was it, 150 plus, 170 yards in the first half alone, it felt like. And I think what we've seen from Arizona is that they don't have the horses at DT. Buda Baker can't come into the boxes. He's trying to help their rookie corner on the outside, who's done a good job of playing well, but also has that help over the top. I think the Cardinals defense then against the pass rush that we saw it needs to have the pass rush be elite to the point where you're able to cover up some of these mistakes and against the Vikings it wasn't Chandler Jones had half of a sack we got to see at least how there was a no sack game for J.J. Watt there's pressure that's been allowed but Kirk Cousins was able to make plays and in some cases just had a quick passing game made time didn't even allow Jones or Watt to get there so I am concerned that we've seen for the first three years of Vance Joseph so far, it's almost like he's needed that defensive tackle to be able to stop the run. Cardinals went from, I believe it was 20, was it 24th last year? They're at like about 26th, 27th right now. Two-game sample size, obviously, but I think that's the area. If the Cardinals are going to take the next steps, I think that's one of the biggest areas to clean up. If they're going to be able to make a playoff run or if they're even going to try to contend for the division. That's one of the things we'll have to clean up. I have a feeling that it may not be. And so if I had to look at the list of Cardinals needs right now, you're heading into the 2022 season. You know, you got some contracts going to be up. You've got Kirk. You're going to have to replace a guy like in Justin Pugh at your left guard position. You're probably having to grab another guard at some point because... (laughs) Even if Josh Jones isn't there, you know, if Calvin Beachum, he may not be back for another year. You may be having to move Josh Jones out as your right tackle long term. I think that the biggest need overall for that Cardinals team is probably a defensive tackle. You can make the arguments for guard. I think that's fine. But the way this team is structured, this is a win now team. Best way to be able to win now in a lot of that sense, I think, recognizing saying, hey, you've got the weapons with Kyler Murray. You can probably add another weapon. I would look at adding, you know, maybe you grab got a pass catching tight end to be your third weapon and move Rondale Moore into the slot. Suddenly you can just grab another guy to be on the outside who fits, and, hey, your offense is cooking. Now all of a sudden you're going to be able to have a long-term security blanket you're hoping on a red zone threat for Kyler, um, who's more than just Max Williams. Maybe that's the case. I think that would be the top priority because Cardinals have thrown just about everything at it as far as these day three picks. They've thrown a day two pick at it with Zach Allen. They've thrown a jarring contract. They've essentially brought Corey Peters back on these one-year deals at least two or three times when it felt like that they were ready to move on. Peters himself didn't think he was returning to the team. I think the Cardinals need to go and be able to boost up the front of their lines. I think that's where they'll have to go and get a defensive tackle in the garden. Right now, give me the defensive tackle because... As we've seen, the Cardinals are a team that has always been kind of about some of the splashy players, splashy plays, and on occasion will invest in one of the offensive line spots. Uh, Linebacker, you know, those are kind of some of those playmakers, especially when you got those dominant athletes. Uh, Even just getting a run stuffer, for the most part, who's able to make an impact, like a Dan Williams we saw for the Cardinals, like how Corey Peters is able to produce, heck, Rodney Gunter. Uh, the man is at least is right now having a heart condition. He's been retired from the NFL. He's hoping he can come back. But that man it is a fourth-round pick Cardinals traded up for. He ended up being a solid anchor for them for the most part, not just at nose tackle but at the flexible side. And those type of picks, those type of hits, I should say, we just haven't quite seen yet from the likes of Zach Allen, Two, or Lawrence just yet. That can change. Obviously, this is year two of Lawrence and Two, but both of them missed quite a bit of time last year. I think we're starting to see that Zach Allen, as far as for what the Cardinals have wanted him to be, which is a guy who can kind of come in, man the five-tech position, um, be kind of a guy at least that's dependable, never really a top-sack guy, maybe have a little bit of what the J.J. Watt approaches when he moves into defensive tackle. It just doesn't seem like it's been working. The fact that they keep bringing back Corey Peters with these Jordan Phillips issues, at some point I do think the Cardinals are going to have to go out there and take a safe bet on a defensive tackle. Because if they don't, I think that their defense, at least, is going to struggle. And that may be the biggest thing if that is their fatal flaw. If The Cardinals are going to put up a defensive performance the rest of the season. When they lose players due to either health or due to missing games or other avenues, that's going to be something that's concerning. If you're going up against the Niners they're starting Trey Lance, and Lance has to throw the ball eight times and they can just hand it off and run for 200 yards, including Lance, good luck, Cardinals, if you're not able to stop that. You're going to be having to throw the ball with Kyler Murray. And as we've seen, there's... Still quite a few picks that have been taking place in that regard. Kyler, I believe, has had three picks so far to start the season. Don pays for some 26 interceptions. Obviously, I think there's going to be games that he'll have zero. That will offset some of that. But really, that's going to be the case, I think, with Arizona. is They're going to have to figure out how to be able to stop the run. They're probably going to have to do it without the most needed personnel. To me, that puts the emphasis not on the Zach Allen, who we've seen, and maybe even not on the guys we haven't seen, but on those first-round picks and those linebackers. And Jordan Hicks is a leader and a guy who's still looking out to be able to make kind of maybe maybe not even that last big payday, but to prove that he can still do this. He's going to rely on those guys. You can't have these safeties keeping to rack up the team in tackles. In 2019, Cardinals had the worst defense in the NFL as far as past defense was concerned. They're all right against the run. They weren't great, but Buda Baker, I believe, was the guy who led the team in tackles along with Jordan Hicks. That means that your defensive line, if they're leading the team in tackles, is not doing its job, and that's what probably needs to change, especially when the Cardinals are facing the St. Louis Rams. You know, You you can say, forget the Rams, focus on the Jags this week. I think it's good to focus on the Rams because you're going to have to play that team again and lose twice that team, and it's going to be a lot harder to be able to look at a positive outcome without being able to say, all right, Last of the Rams twice, gonna have to at least beat one of these Seahawks or Niners teams two times. Not just once, but two times. You can't just split two times to get into the playoffs. Overall, at least I'll wrap up at least talking about the end of the game, some of the scenarios, and what it kind of means for the Arizona Cardinals as far as their future. What are the areas and projections for this team as far as for how their season outlook looks after two games? That'll be next here on the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Welcome back into the final segment of the Revenge of the Birds podcast. So talked a bit about the offense and how good Kyler has looked. talked a bit about the defense and some of the issues and concerns. Obviously, it might be the floor that we saw against the Vikings. If we got to see the ceiling with Chandler Jones and five sacks. We saw the floor against the Vikings. Let's talk about the end of the game and specifically what these type of games may mean for Arizona. At the end of the game, the Cardinals, essentially with Cliff Kingsbury, didn't seem to really have much of an identity in that final drive outside of aggression. Uh, They tried to pass the ball, at least after running it with Kyler Murray. He runs out of bounds. And the Arizona Cardinals end up punting the ball back to the Vikings. After a sack on second down, throwing the ball with Kyler Murray. I think at least this is probably a questionable call. I know they wanted to be aggressive. Given the situation, a lot of people said, why don't you just run the ball on second down, at least for that one, keep the clock moving, because you had two clock stoppages. Suddenly, then led to, all right, well, didn't really go that far on that drive. We're going to have to pick up a third and 16 now with that sack. Give the ball back to the Vikings. And sure enough, the Cardinals were not able to stop them. They drove down the field. Probably could have driven further with the amount of time that was left. But then you get to talk about the difference between having a Matt Prater and a Greg Joseph. And as we've seen, that may be the difference between being on the hot seat or being in kind of the potential idea of these contenders uh, articles as one of the last 2-0 teams in the NFL. And that's what's crazy to think about is you say it all the time, it's a game of inches, it's a small game. But this was literally a game that came down to an extra point that was missed that turned out to be the difference. Came down to a little bit of an extra run by Rondell Moore staying bound. So I, I think Rondell Moore, I think that the Cardinals, if they can develop him downfield a bit more where he's not just standing wide open... But being able to use him in some similar plays due to Christian Kirk or being able to have a bit more of a downfield presence, I think that would be able to turn him into a star. He, he's probably not going to be a Tyler Lockett as far as this downfield assassin who just essentially is just able to score you know, 60-yard touchdowns on a dime. But I think that he could end up turning into more of an all-around player versus just this simple simplified gadget player. We already have seen a couple times he's been able to get open down the field or being able to maneuver use his speed and ability to start and stop to be able um, to add this extra yards after catch of the card. So Mike Zimmer goes from being a one and one coach to starting 0 and 2 to having questions about his kicker with Vance jo- uh, with Greg Joseph I should say. Despite the fact that he And their offense, and Kirk Cousins especially, I should say, is a good quarterback. Not great, but a good quarterback. Was pretty comfortable. Had only, I think, one or two sacks all day. There wasn't quite a lot of defense being played, as we'd like to have seen. But all the questions went to Zimmer. Like, hey, why didn't you get more aggressive to the end? Did you trust your kicker after missing that extra point? What was some of the scenarios as far as why you didn't go to the end? zone? all those questions pop up? Questions about how the defense just gave up 400-plus yards to Kyler Murray wasn't able to get him down, wasn't able to really even disrupt the Cardinals offense. He's got all the questions. You flip that if that field goal is made, suddenly he's sitting at one and one. He's right in the thick of it. They're going to be essentially tied with the Chicago Bears and tied with the Packers. He's sitting proudly pretty at least after week two. They had their bounce back. They had a close loss and had a close win. Still one and one is still suitable in the NFL. It's not the 0-2 death knell By falling to the 0-2 death knell. Also, there's the questions about the hot seat, the things that pop up. Flip that now with the Cardinals. What would we see if the Cardinals on this play had a one-on-one record coming out of a game in which they beat down the Titans and suddenly they struggle, give up on the run to the Vikings. Kyler Murray looks incredible, but there's just a whole lot of holes. I think the first thing people would pop up would say, all right, Cardinals at least had some bad decisions that were made, you know, by Kyler and by Cliff. Uh, the turnovers that Kyler had gave up essentially 10 points to the Vikings, a pick six that turned into seven and a field goal. The Vikings scored off of that deep throw. Now I would still credit Kyler more with the seven than with the three. There was probably a roughing the passer, hitting the head call that wasn't made, but he still threw that ball a little bit too late, held on a bit too long. That's part of why he got hit in the first place. If he lets go of that ball a bit sooner is able to read a little quicker. And I think that's been coming with time. But it's been one of the complaints of if you're laid over in the middle, that's where teams will pick your ball off. He took that hit to the head. If he probably ends up throwing the ball a second early too, and then the defender comes in after the ball is done, boom, hit to the head. Hey, you suddenly got that ball completed to your guy in the middle, and you got a 15-yard penalty on top of that. Congratulations. You just got a touchdown. Instead, Cardinals turn the ball over, and that turns into that 10-point swing where it otherwise may have looked like a 23-34 style game. That would be not even close for the most part. Vikings would now be having to drive to score multiple times. It's like, all right, we're down enough. we got to score. Get the two-point conversion and kick a field goal, and that will only tie you. Instead, we now get to see the flip side of having the security of a Matt Prater, a guy who kicked a 62-yard field goal, set the record for the longest for the Cardinals. He's a guy who may essentially be considered, in some cases, a job saver, just as last year we watched... Jose Gonzalez was almost, in some cases, people question if he was maybe a job killer. But dropping the Cardinals down out of the playoffs, putting Cliff and Kim a bit more on the hot seat than I think was perhaps warranted, but also perhaps, at least in some cases, maybe there is at least a limit that we've at least seen. So, let's go through the scenario I brought up before I ramble on further. We have a Cardinals team that, if they were sitting at 1-1, one and one, dropped all that down to the Vikings, you're looking at them going to the Jacksonville Jaguars, oh man, they dropped one and two if they happen to lose in any scenario to the Jaguars. Every single pitchfork in Phoenix comes out. I think this was talked about on the Rise Up Sea Red podcast about how you would have kind of looked at this as a must win game because, you know, it's the Jaguars. They've looked like this terrible team they were last year. Trevor Lawrence has been turning the ball over, he's been a bit inaccurate on throws. They just have not been able to seemingly put together a cohesive game and cohesive effort. I think it's a bit more dangerous. You know, 0-2 teams are very dangerous. We saw that with last year in the Carolina Panthers. Cardinals start 2-0, go against the Lions, and suddenly they end up seeing a tough Lions team fighting for their first win, and they get it at least. Then you see, all right, 2-1 it's not bad. Go out and see the Panthers. Panthers are looking for a win. They end up getting it for the most part. So desperate teams can sometimes overachieve a bit more than you'd think. And I think that stands out With you think of Steve Wilkes, Cardinals starting 0-5. Cardinals starting, I think it was at least 0-4, if not 0-3 against before their first win against the Bengals. That was a dangerous team because that first win is a huge hump to get over for the season, especially for a team that drops two in a row to start. They already know, man, it's not likely we're making the playoffs. Man, that's going to be kind of the issue. I think that's part of where the Cardinals are moved past that point, I think, of losing to some of these teams. Like, they were still in a competitive game against the Vikings in a game that the Vikings looked like they outplayed them, despite the fact the Cardinals, most people felt, were the superior team heading into this game. Now it was pretty a lot closer. It was a, not pretty a lot closer. It was a lot closer than I thought it would be, and I still thought said, "Hey, I think it's a close game." I had thirty-one twenty-seven, or said, Um, eh, you know, maybe it's a field goal that ends up deciding it. Maybe it's a bit closer." It ended up being a one-point game. With the back and forth in each of those things. And I think that's one thing we saw is, hey, can the Cardinals win close games? I don't think we learned that yet this year. What we learned is that the Vikings can definitely lose close games. And I think that's one of the spots for Arizona that we'll have to see what this team's medal is worth. There's questions that are going to be about, hey, they haven't played in an elite defense yet. What's that going to look like if Kyler gets bottled up? Or, heck, is this a team that even could score points if he's not on the field is another question. Everything is so heavily built around him as a quarterback. And with the defense with being able to have the run, you've got questions now if Byron Murphy is going to be healthy. Marco Wilson is young. The Cardinals weren't completely exposed by the Vikings wide receivers. But they certainly were not able to stop them in the clutch when it counted. And that's really what elite defenses do. The best example you can think of is you gotta get a stop. Boom, you get a stop. The Cardinals defense in that Vikings game was not capable of that. When it counted. There's a few times I can think of at least one of them specifically, about four minutes left. Cardinals are up 34-33. Get the ball back to Minnesota. Minnesota get it back gets it back to them. You're like perfect. All right, there's about two minutes left or so. Arizona can simply get a first down or so, make the Vikings use the timeout, get a second first down, and all of a sudden, hey, game's over. Either you're going to run the clock down to zip or you're going to send it back to the Vikings. We're going to have 20 seconds left. It'd take a, a miracle play to be able to get that four points to be able to win the game. Or I should say at least be able to get down. Um, you have to take almost not quite a Hail Mary, but you have to drive down the field, especially if Arizona's able to score to put them up by four. Ooh, then then you need a touchdown. Okay. The offense wasn't quite able to put it away, but the defense in particular, then when they needed to, didn't step up in the clutch. Now, credit the Vikings. They did a solid job as a good team. I think that for a lot of the Cardinals fans and players, at least, we still have to see what this team's medal is made of. Because I think through the first two games, we've seen some tests. We haven't seen all of the tests. I think the focus will be a test for them next week against the Jaguars. That's a game they should win. But it's really going to be that fourth game against the Rams that's the test of the Cardinals. And this is, this is going to be kind of a little bit here. From what we've seen from the Cardinals and what we've seen from the Rams, if the Rams are healthy enough coming into week four, I think there's a very good chance that they beat Arizona by a lot of points because I think this Cardinals defense has shown enough cracks and enough issues with the linebackers that the Rams have been able to run all over Arizona before. Their defense is also a lot tougher, especially as far as with having Jalen Ramsey potentially following around DeAndre Hopkins. You've got more weapons now, which will help. The Rams' defense is not as good as it was last year. We've been able to see two, two times in a row teams, especially a mobile Carson Wentz before he sprained two of his ankles, was really good at being able to actually add Raj to the play and was able to run a bit on the Rams. The issue, at least, I think, is if you're a Cardinals fan, your goal of this season is not just get to the playoffs, but you want to be a contender. You want to be able to prove to Kyler Murray this is a team that is able to win in the clutch. This is a place, and they'll look at him as a quarterback who can carry them as well. So far through two games, I think that we've seen that he can carry them quite a bit, but it's these clutch plays and clutch situations, especially these two-minute drills Cliff Kingsbury needs to do a better job at. Because there's a path for the Cardinals that leads to an NFC Championship game when you look around the league. There's also a path that leads to almost a collapse of the team for some of the same reasons. It collapsed in 2020 last year. So what does that mean as far as the outlook for Cliff and Kime? I think right now, for the most part, you're saying that Kime, whether or not Cliff is going to be safe, I think a lot of people can say it. Steve Kime seems like he's probably in enough of a spot where you don't know if you have to fire everyone to fire your GM. It may not be a bad season. I think the question is, if it's subpar, where does the blame go? And in that regard, we've talked about the defense potentially having that schematic issue of, Needing to have stronger guys up front because the linebackers are having to draw their looks and they're looking the wrong way or getting distracted or having another issue or two. And as a result, I'm wondering at least for how much of that then is where Cliff Kingsbury, if his seat has kind of been tied to whatever the team, if they get to 10 wins, seat's fine. You know, get your nice contract you sent you, are good to go. If they get less than that, maybe you start wondering if Kaim and Bidwell will get go, well... Maybe the leadership model we have for some of that stuff with Cliff, with fans with all of this, maybe it's a little bit different. I think that's one of the avenues, and it's hard to you know, talk about this for a while. We cover this team a lot. What I think every fan wants to do is after have, have three things. We want to celebrate a Cardinals win. we be able to have confidence that your team isn't just lucking into these wins and you're feeling like there's going to be a terrible drop-off. That was the 2012 feeling, which was, all right, Cardinals are 4-0. They just lost Kevin Cobb. This is really, really sketchy, guys. And then they go on to lose some seven games straight. You want to have confidence of being able to not just win now, but win in the future. And I think the last one that you're wanting to have, at least, is wanting to be able to have some level of passion and pride in your team and the players who run that team. I think that in that sense, we've seen Kyler Murray develop into that type of player that fans are really proud of. Fans are proud of Kyler... Not quite in the way that Larry Fitzgerald was, nor probably will he ever be. That's one of those areas of now that the national media has seen this is kind of our guy. I think the Cardinals fans at least are excited. And I think that that's something that makes me think, as long as Arizona has a continually fine season, that that's not going to change. Now, what could change that and shifts it is if you don't have that security of a win. If you go out and you're like, man, Cardinals almost lost to the Jags this next week, and then they lost, you know, by... 10 points to the Rams, suddenly going to play this Niners team, you're like, oh man, like, are we about to see this Cardinals team, you know, start 3-0 and have two close victories after they played an unprepared Titans team and then drop three straight, that is a confidence you don't want to have as a fan, because that can turn into a self-fulfilling prophecy where suddenly you're like, oh, yep, this isn't as good, they just dropped those, oh man, you dropped three in a row, that's an, oh man, look at how they're falling behind look at, that is one of the cases where it, it is then, it seems to follow you and it hangs over, not just the players in the team it hangs over you as a fan base. And I think what Cardinals fans list, there's some that like Steve Kim, some who have, you know, grown a little bit sick of it. I think a lot of Cardinals fans at least want to be able to have the energy that the Phoenix Suns have had. And the Suns comparison I give is, hey, everyone wants to be proud of, them. you know, the comparison may be even friendlier is, hey, Cardinals fan in two thousand. 13, 2014, heck, even 2015. Bruce Arians and Steve Kime, top of the world. GM of the year, exec of the year. Like, man, we've got this guy in our organization. He's been killing it with these different trades and picks. We got Carson Palmer for a six, Tyron Matthew in the third. The David Johnson, guys, are setting rookie touchdown records for Arizona. Meanwhile, Bruce Arians is those you no know, risk it, no biscuit, is just having this air raid assault that we're seeing. Uh, maybe not even the air raid specific, but this uh, vertical offense that just Chuck's it deep, doesn't care. It was exciting, and it was optimistic about that time. Now, we've seen a lot of pessimism that's come out, and it shows how hard it is to win. But I think a lot of Cardinals fans are still skeptical of Cliff and still a bit skeptical of Kime. Some of that makes sense. You're going to have to take a lot of work to have to heal some of the wounds that that 2018 season had, or even some of the Cardinals being a laughingstock in 2019. And (laughs) look at how far Cliff has come for that from now, where people are like, oh, man. Brown's got Freddie Kitchens. Look at this. What a move for all that stuff. Arizona had to go outside of the box. And, you know, Kitchens isn't even an offensive coordinator anymore. And Cliff Kingsbury, at least, has taken a two-zip record in playing the Jacksonville Jaguars. So we'll have more to be able to preview with that game. I think the lasting thought I'd like to have for this with this Cardinals team is that you want to make sure that your head of what you see with the team doesn't get in the way of your heart. Enjoy this while it's there. That's what part of being a fan is all about. It's by having that type of faith, having that type of approach that is able to uh, be this emotional shared community experience, being able to high five people, celebrate after the game. Maybe it's taunting an opposing fan who was taunting you a second ago. That's all part of why we are football fans. So, again, the head may say one thing at least for that one. Listen to it. But don't abandon your heart because that's what really ultimately makes us and makes all of us Cardinals fans. All right, let's end this episode at least and talk about a couple of different things. What are the new expectations or new predictions that we have for the upcoming schedule? Now, power rankings will have some areas of predicting where teams are, some things you can't predict because, oh, well, Kyler is going to miss that game against a terrible team. Guess we didn't know. Otherwise, we might have, you know, picked the Texans game to be flipped if we'd known that. I don't think that that's there. But I think you take a look at the current state of the team. And try to project from there. So you got a two and zero start. You got week three against the Jaguars. I think that most people will talk about this in the podcast. A loss would be concerning because now you're talking about a team that maybe should be one and two if not for luck, but ends up being a two and one team that's about to play the Rams. And you're like, this is this, this is a chance to go down quickly. I still think that they go out, put a walloping on Jacksonville. I think that's where they'll start and be able to get a win in that regard at week three. Start up three and zero. Next week against the Rams. Who would watch the Cardinals in that run game and be able to then look at and say, all right, Cardinals didn't stop the run as well as we'd hoped. There's some running that Kyler Murray maybe can do, but Rams are still the class of the division. I think that's the first loss that you may take, especially if it's on the road versus at home. That's a much tougher place to play. Week five against the Niners, that's a game that I think at least you almost call a split. You could go as a win or a loss there. That's a very massively defining game in my opinion. And then week six with the Cleveland Browns. The Browns are the one team where if you look at Arizona Cardinals trying or stopping the run, you know, maybe the Browns have enough issues with injuries. But then you look at Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, and that offensive line go, yeah, that's concerning. Their defense also has a solid pass rush. They've got weapons. They're probably one of the better teams in the AFC. If that's a loss. Suddenly you get to start to say, all right, some losses are starting to pop up here and there. You've got a game against the Houston Texans. That should be a win for the team. And then you got week eight, the Green Bay Packers. You'll play Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Jones. And that's one, at least, that I think you can also say is a split. People may be surprised. Normally I think I'd pick the Packers, but when you've seen how bad their defense has looked in Green Bay, I think that's going to be a spot where the Cardinals can eke out a win. So then you got the Niners. You're at and you're away. I think that you can split with the Niners. So let's go ahead at least and say, hey, all right, that could be a – win, that could be a loss for the most part. Let's go ahead and say that the Cardinals are able to split in the division, just because that seems to make the most amount of sense. I'll say that after the long rest, a good week against the Niners, maybe you end up seeing a little Trey Lance, Jimmy Garoppolo maybe gets hurt. Let's say that one's a win. And let's say that week five where they're at home, you know, uh, this is the game I think at least that is you know, at home, 10-10. That's a game that they should win? I just don't know if they will, at least because teams, some things end up fluky, some teams end up winning, they've got a strong run game, let's say that's a split, the Panthers have looked like a tough team, especially on defense, now they're missing JC Horn for a little while Christian McCaffrey was banged up just in tonight's Thursday Night Football game, so that's going to be a tougher team to be able to play, I think, than many people, that's a split but with Sam Darnold at quarterback versus Kyler Murray your assumption is that the Cardinals are going to be able to eke that one out now you got the Seattle Seahawks on the road let's say that as a Cardinals win because that usually tends to be the case and then you end up with an interesting game against the Chicago Bears in the cold, December, away. in an early morning game. Mm, that's one of those games that I think they win, but it's another game that you're a bit closer. So that's week 13, right? Now week 14, you've got a game at least against the Rams. I think that this ends up being the game that you finally win. You're at home. It's week 14. Monday night football. Everyone's amped up. I think this will be the first win in the Cliff Kingsbury era. I think you can split in the division with this year. They go 3-3. Three and three. I do think they lose the next week to the Lions. Lions look like that they have a huge amount of effort that they're putting in. Jared Goff has always traditionally done well against the Cardinals. You're way on the road at the Lions. You're coming on a short week. There's a lot that's set up for each of these things that I think could lead to a loss for the Cardinals in a game that normally people would pick them to win. Last three weeks of the season. You've got Indy. You've got Dallas. you got the Seahawks. I think that's an easy say. You should be 2-1. Cowboys are a solid team. I think that their defense is weaker. I think the Cardinals' defense is stronger. I think their offense is strong, but I think Kyler is just a bit better than with all of those different weapons to be able to do it, assuming he's still playing by that point. I think that's the biggest area the Cardinals are able to go 2-1-1. Two, uh, two, and one down that stretch. I think that they would lose then at home in that last week. So what does that win total look like for the cards? Let me add this up here real quick, at least as far as the number of wins. You've got with that split and that loss in week 10 that I have at least, which is there with, what was it, week 8? there's the one against the Packers. Yeah, I think that one could be a win. I had that written down as a loss. You're looking at what looks like about an 11 win season. That would be good. Now, if you go to two and four, suddenly that's a 10 win season, at least for that one. Let's say that you and uh, We 10 lose to a team like the Panthers. Let's take it to the end of the season and you drop that game at Dallas. Ooh. Suddenly, you're talking about a 9-8 and eight season. Let's say that you don't split in the division. You go split with the Niners. You split with the uh, with the Seahawks. You lose both. You go 2-4 and four in the division. That may be just enough to push you out of the playoffs. Now, that's why this win in Week 2, this win was so key. If you start off that season 1-1, boom, I got you down for 10 wins just like that. Adding a win when you're not supposed to, pushing them up a little bit to an 11-win season might be optimal for the Cardinals. I think that is, after this 2-0 start, should be the valid expectation for fans. Is that this looks like it should be an 11-win team. should be a team that should be able to split in the division, which means you have to beat the Rams at least once. As a team that may have a back-and-forth type of struggle with maybe dropping a game to a team it shouldn't, but should be able to say, hey, we're part of the class of the NFL. We're one of the best Seven teams in the NFC, and we're going to play like it. The Cardinals underperformed for 11 wins. I think 10-win season, I think most fans, GM, everything, that's pretty that's acceptable. A 9-8 after this 2-0 start means, oh man, you're probably dropping a lot more games than you should be. That's where I think you should worry about if the Cardinals are good but not great. Is it possible that they've hit their ceiling? There's going to be a lot of questions about that offseason at 9-8. You could go into 2022 where the Cardinals would have to have a explosive, maybe 11-win season, playoff and a playoff win for Kyman Cliff if they end up having a nine and eight type of season. Just because it would be very hard in the case of going another nine and eight or eight and nine wins to bring them all back. That'll wrap it up for the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Here, thanks for listening. My name is Ben Blake Murphy Seven. Uh, be able to sure to tune in uh, this afternoon as I talk with. Uh, the big cat country and the Jacksonville Jaguars beat writer. That's the show. At least it should be a lot more fun. I'd be answering some questions at least on stream as well. Um, take care for all of that. Have a good one. And again, go cards.